Amen. Praise God. I was like I said, I was supposed to be on a flight halfway out over the Pacific Ocean now, heading probably about halfway to Japan about now, but uh so we had to cancel our trip because uh, I said the regional director, Brother Sham, had a heart attack and so so but we will be going later, so keep us in prayer, amen, and that. But it's good to be home. And so since I had already scheduled Sister Parker to teach, amen, we're gonna let her come and Talk to us tonight about overcoming discontentment. So God bless Sister Parker. I will, re- Ooh, I will receive those blessings. Thank you. So who knows our memory verse? Well, besides, I've the one hand that's waving, no one does. It's already the third week of the month. Ooh, no certificates to give out in here. Oh, how disappointing. Okay, so, you know, part of it, well, we'll take part. Okay, the first part of it, I need you to put me back on the little, there we go. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, in the new in the King James Version, red usually means that Jesus said it. That's not the case tonight. So just ignore all the things that are bolded in red. That means that Sister Parker wants to emphasize it to you. Um, contentment, obviously, from this scripture, is not something that comes naturally to us. We're not just born with contentment. You bring a baby home from the hospital and... It just lays there in its little bassinet. And when it's hungry, it just goes, mwah, mwah, mwah. And you pick it up and you feed it. And then you change its little diaper and then you lay it back down or play with it for a little while. And then when it wants its little diaper changed again, it just goes, ah, ah. No, fantasy world, fantasy world. It goes, what? It is not content until it gets what it wants. And then when it decides, he, she, they decide that they do not like the way that you are holding them at about six months of age, they go, and unless you teach them what with what I call the body hold, that discontentment takes over and their human nature rallies up now this grandma mom can quickly tell you that it there's a fine line with discontentment and other spirits discontentment is not just your run-of-the-mill thing it's not god-given it's not the spirit of God. It's not from God. It's part of our humanity and or something that comes from another source. And unless it's squelched at a very young age, then we as adults get to learn at a very rough time in our life when we think that we don't need to learn anything because we know everything We need to figure out that we don't know everything and we need to learn contentment in whatsoever state we are in. Now, I'll be honest with you. At times, I've had to put a big capital S state because we were military and we moved all over. And some states just weren't the same as other states. You know, some places we lived just weren't the same. But it didn't matter. I needed to learn contentment. I needed to learn contentment. Therewith to be content. The disciple said that I have learned to be a base and I have learned to abound. doesn't matter. If I have plenty or I have a little, I need to learn to be content. Our human nature is never satisfied. If I give you blue, you wanted green. If I gave you one, you wanted two. If I gave you a little bit, you wanted a lot. And if I gave you a lot, you wanted a little. You are never satisfied. If I asked you to do it, you didn't want to do it. And if I didn't ask you, then you're upset because I didn't. You're never satisfied. Now, not this group, of course, but in general. 
Nothing is more contrary than the person who claims to be a, con- a Christian, and yet they're always wanting something different. They're never content. Always wanting brings discouragement, and it brings discontentment. Discouragement will bring discontentment into your life. It will lead to it. Discontented Christians are not living the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. We're living far below our means. Because if I am not happy with what he has given me, where he has placed me, what he is doing, then he will not be able to give me more or do more or allow more. And I'm not enjoying what I have. No scripture supports any born-again Christian being discontent. No scripture supports me complaining about what I have or don't have. But many scriptures do support me being content. He has come that we might have life and that more abundantly. He's come to give me joy. He's come and he's told me that I'm more than a conqueror. Um, The Christian life is a life of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, Romans 14, 17 tells us. His kingdom here on earth is a life of joy. Discontentment and joy do not go hand in hand. If I'm discontented, I'm not joy-filled. If I'm not joy-filled, I'm not peace-filled. And if I'm not peace-filled, then I'm not right. Thus, I'm not righteous. Thus, I'm not living in his kingdom. Right? I mean, back it up. If his kingdom is righteousness, doing right, and that's followed by peace, and then that's followed by joy, then I'm content. Life is good in my spirit. But if I'm not, if I have not learned to be content, then I don't have joy. I don't have peace, and I'm not righteous. Thus, I am not in the kingdom. I take the word of God very point blank, very much at face value. I don't make it complicated. If you've heard me teach once, then you already know that, right? Salt group. I didn't get amen out of my corner over here. Discontentment robs us of our joy. It it corrodes our witness, and it will ultimately destroy our life if it's not overcome. So many today are discontent with everything in their life. They don't like their house, their home. They don't like their spouse. They don't like their children. If they have all boys, beautiful, healthy, strapping, strong boys, they have one more hoping for the girl. If they have all girls, they have one more hoping for the boy. Hello? What difference does it make? Be content. They're not happy with their job. They're not content with their job. They're not content with their car. You know, if they have a car, they want a newer car. They want a shinier car. They want a, you know, they're they're not content with their personal appearance if they're tall, they're sh- they want to be short. If they're short, they want to be tall. If they're not so small, they want to be bigger. If they're not so small, anyway, we won't go there. The list goes on and on and on. We're not contented people. We always find something that we want. If I have a hundred pair of shoes, I want two more pair. If I have if I have a hundred pair of shoes, then I complain that I have too many shoes. If I have no children, then I complain that I don't have children. And if I have children, I complain that I have to take care of them. And if I have a job, I complain that I have to go to the job. And if I don't have a job, then I complain that I don't have a job. And God is up there saying, well, make up your mind. What did you want? Learn contentment. So tonight, I want to talk about a few ways to overcome discontentment. But better yet... I want to talk about avoiding discontentment. Because my thought is, why overcome something when I can avoid it altogether? Why should I want to know 
and call the wrecker when I could have avoided going the ditch in the first place. Right? I mean, so tonight we're going to talk about avoiding discontentment. Just avoiding it altogether. Never being discontented again from this moment on. You got it. Being thankful. But first, you know me, I love definitions. We have to know the definition of what we're talking about. What is discontent? Because discontentment is just part of the root word of discontent is, I mean, discontent is part of, the, is the root word of discontentment. It's the lack of contentment. Isn't that deep and profound? That's pretty heavy, Brother Richard. Dissatisfaction with your circumstances. Again, it doesn't matter which circumstances, you pick it out. What did you complain about today, verbally or in your mind? And that's what circumstance you're discontented with. Discontentment. What one did you think about? That's what you're discontented with. Lack of contentment. That's where you have not learned your lesson yet. And God will teach you your lesson. He will teach you if you want to be taught. I'd rather learn it on my own. So in other words, discontentment is not being satisfied with who the Lord has made you to be. Remember in school, these things that are going to come up here, you are not satisfied with what he has provided for you. You are not satisfied with when he, God, is working things out for you. In other words, you are not satisfied. You are discontented with the timing of God in your life. You are not satisfied, contented with where he has you now. And you are not satisfied with why he has what he has for you. You think that you have a better plan. You know better. You are God. Not even close. You got it. You've learned in whatsoever state you are. The who, what, when, where, why. If you don't learn the who, what, when, where, why and submit the who, what, when, where, why to God, then you're going to be discontented in one of those areas. Because every one of our discontentments fall into one of those areas. Well, God, I don't like it because I am. You know, if I was just. The Lord had me take a look. This just like completely took me back into the Old Testament in our reading. Um, I'm reading chronologically through my Bible this year. And I was like, really, God? He woke me up in the middle of the night with this. And I couldn't wait to get back to this scripture. And have you ever had something where God plops something? God plops things on me, you know, in my brain. And I'm a Bible flopper. And so... You know, that's just how I am. I'm not that smart that I know where everything is, so I just have to flop it in there. And God is like, there it is! And I get so excited. But he plopped this in my brain, and I couldn't wait to get up and go read it. And all the way to my Bible, I kept saying, oh, God, please have it say what I think it's going to say. Please, God, please, God, please! And I was so excited when it did. It was like, whoa! David had 400 great men. I mean, he was a captain over 400 great men, about, about, about 400. The Bible says, I don't want to exaggerate, but it was about 400. They were great men. They were the kind of men that every one of us would want to be captain over.
Not really. They were in distress. They were in debt. And they were discontented. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. I'm not sure why. Did I say Daniel? I meant David. I'm sorry. Why David took the role of being captain of these wonderful, great men. Quite honestly, I can't put up with one person who's discontented. I really can't. I really don't like to be around one person that's in distress for very long. And I have a very low threshold of tolerance for people that just keep going further and further and further and further and further into debt. Figure it out. There's not a never-ending money bank. You know, the money tree got cut down somewhere because it's not growing anymore. I don't know why David accepted this assignment, but he did. And I was like, wow. So God had me go and look at this. And so to avoid discontentment, I figured out I have to be proactive. Why wait to overcome it? Like I said, why wait to overcome something when I can avoid it altogether? So to avoid discontentment, Oh, we already talked about the meaning. I need to know the meaning of, I need to avoid distress. That's the first thing. Because David's men were in distress. So distress is extreme anxiety. That's become like a buzzword. Oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. It's just stressing me out. Get rid of it. Because if it's stressing you, the next thing is going to be that you're going to be distressed. And then you're going to become discontented. Check out David's men. Extreme anxiety, sorrow, pain, anguish, suffering, pain, agony, torment, Causing someone anxiety, sorrow, sorrow, sorry, pain, anxiety disorder. We've even given fancy names to things now. And I'm not minimizing anything. But avoid it. Avoid distress. Some things happen in life. And yes. They bring stress with them. They do. There's things that bring sorrow to our life. There's things that bring pain to our life. There's things that bring agony and torment. Those things happen. Life is life. In this life you shall have Sunshine and roses every day from the time you're born again. No. In this life you shall have tribulation. But nowhere does it tell me that I should be distressed. No place. But be of good courage. I have overcome. So I can avoid the whole thing. Very simply... By knowing my burden bearer. And it's not just enough to have this like casual acquaintanceship with him. I was talking with two people recently. Why is it that some people, let's take the example of losing a loved one. Because to me, maybe for someone else it would be being diagnosed with cancer. Maybe for someone else it would be being having their house burned to the ground, maybe for someone else it would be something else. But I'm going to use the example of losing someone, the closest person to you. The closest person. Be it through death or some other means. Why is it that 
some Christians can have that happen and make it through it with a praise and a song in their heart. Never miss a church service. Never miss a praise. Never miss a clap. Never lose their dance. And never lose their joy. They cry. They have sorrow. In the natural, of course they do. They grieve the loss of the one that they cared about, that they loved. But they don't lose their joy. Yet another person with the same born-again experience loses out totally. They fall into depression. They have to take medication. They have to go, I mean, on and on and on and on. They're in distress. And they end up totally. Why is it? I believe it's this. They did not have the intimate relationship built ahead of time. They did not know their burden bearer intimately. Therein lies the difference. If it's a surface relationship, thin ice crumbles. Thick ice, you can drive a Mack truck across it. I've seen it out here on the Mississippi. I think they're nuts, but they do it. I have to know the way before it gets dark. If I don't know my way home before darkness falls, I will never make it there. I can walk through my house in pitch dark. Why? Because I have walked it day after day after day after day in broad daylight. Therein lies the difference. You come into my house in the darkness and you're going to trip and fall. You don't know where the couch is. You don't know where the table is. You don't know where anything is. I know my home intimately. I know my burden bearer. When trouble hits, I know where to turn to. Yes, I grieve. Yes, I have sorrow. But it is not the extreme agony that causes distress. Here's the difference between disappointment. Life brings disappointment. Don't misunderstand me. Things happen that I don't like. Things happen that I go, really, God? What were we thinking? (laughs) But you're God, so you had it figured out. Nevertheless, Lord, I'm content. Here's the difference. Distress, disappointment is an emotion. Distress is a mood. It's a state of being. Emotions are God-given. You've heard me teach this before. If you slam your finger in the door, it hurts. If you lose someone you love, it hurts. If you get good news, you're happy. If you get not so good news, you're sad. That's an emotion. What you do with that emotion becomes a mood. The Holy Ghost is not moody. The Holy Ghost is different every day. He is not. The Holy Ghost is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So if I am walking in the Spirit, it doesn't matter what emotions I'm experiencing, my mood needs to be constant. I may not be happy, but I will have joy. 
I may be upset, but I can still have peace. There's a huge difference. So moods are what you do with the emotions that God gave you. God will never force you to control your moods. That's up to you. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. My moods oftentimes are because I want to fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want to be in a bad mood some days. I really want to. I want to go off on somebody. I mean, I just want to give them a piece of my mind and tell them exactly what I think. Or I want to, come on women, come on ladies, I want to be mopey-dopey, bopey-bopey, so that I'll get some attention. Nobody pays any attention to the happy, bubbly person who's always on top of the world. It's that, oh my, that always gets all the attention. Come on, you know it as well as I do. Well, my reward's not here on earth. He will reward me. God will never force me to control my emotions. God will never force me to walk in the Spirit. That's my choice. But my moods are a direct result of what I do with my God-given emotions. So the important difference in being able to rise above the circumstances that come and to avoid the distress that we're talking about that will lead us into discontentment is preparation. What do you do ahead of time? Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 4. The preparations of the heart of man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the, the, the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. So even wicked human beings are made for God. I have to prepare myself ahead of time. I have to commit myself ahead of time to walk and to establish my thoughts. Because if I don't, I will be overtaken by the circumstances of life. Preparation in this verse means a mental disposition, and that equals your mood. I have to prepare my mental disposition, my mood, ahead of time. I have to decide, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice in it. I don't care what comes my way. I don't care where I am, what happens, who I see, what goes on, who, what, when, where, why. I will rejoice in it and be glad. I will be content. So some ways of avoiding, of learning to avoid distress, discontentment. Live a life based on reality. I've talked about this before. Understand that life has ups and downs, good days and really good days. And then it also has some really crummy days. It has sunshiny days, cloudy days, rainy days, snowy days, icy days, sleety days, hail days, tornado days. It has all kinds of days. It has ups and downs. Figure it out. That's reality. Prepare for them. Buy some galoshes. Decide that you're going to dance in the rain, that you're going to sled down the hill, that you're going to take up ice skating. I don't know. Do something, but figure it out. It has ups and downs. Don't live in a fantasy world. There's some things that will never happen. Yet there's some wonderful things that you're missing because you're waiting for those other things to happen or pining away for what might have been. Enjoy now. Don't have false expectations. Watch what you put before your eyes. 
what you read, what you listen to. Please, please, young people, guard your hearts and your mind. The subtle message is out there. Be careful. Psalms 101, verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. You know, we always used to say the TV. Yeah, it's gone way beyond that now. Everything. Billboards. <laughs> I, they've been around forever. I was just being a little bit facetious. But, I mean, everything. Just be careful what you're doing, what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. What Everything. Everything. Guard yourself. Be careful what you think on. Keep your thoughts established by thinking on the right things. Philippians 4.8 tells us what to think on. The true, the honest, the just, the pure, the lovely, the good report, the virtue, the praise. Think on these things and you won't become discontented. Cast down imaginations. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Our mind can really get to going sometimes. And we imagine things that aren't even. Oh, I think they... No, they probably didn't. Probably aren't. Probably never. Live a life based on reality. Bring into captivity every thought. We need to control our spirit. And we need to walk in his spirit. Be realistic. Live in the now. Don't live in what will be. And also don't live in what was. Well, when I get, then I will. You may never get, so then you never will. Well, I used to. I can remember when I. Well, back when. When we were. Yesterday's gone. When we lived in, my kids were so perfect. No, no, they weren't. They were just like everyone else's. They were wonderful, but they weren't perfect. But boy, I sure do see them through rose-colored glasses now. Reality, you know? I don't have to paint it different than it was or than it is. God is an I am God. He's the God of today. Draw lessons from the past, but don't try to live there. You can never go back. And you will miss today if you are trying to live there. It's over. Move on. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, but today. Another thing David's men, his great, wonderful men, were in debt. Avoid debt. Learn to live within your means. We hear so much about prosperity and all the wonderful things. And, you know, yes, the Lord does own the cattle on a thousand hills. And, yes, he can and will bless us with material possessions according to his will. But remember, Christians are to live a disciplined life. We need to discipline our desires, giving to the Lord first, living within our means, providing for our own, saving up for a rainy day. That's a whole other topic and a whole other lesson, a whole month's worth. Um, But... Don't go into debt. Pride is what makes us try to live above above our means. And who are you trying to impress anyway? Try to live as debt-free as you possibly can. If you're in debt, try to get out of debt. Don't try. Get. Take away try. Pastor says there's only one place, and that's the trying of your faith, and you don't want your debt to try your faith. So um, get debt-free. Don't go into debt for temporary short-term items such as clothes, food, entertainment. Um, Save up and then buy with wisdom. 
for gifts, plan ahead. If you can't afford gifts, downsize the giving. Draw names. Give a pack of gum. You know, sit around and sing a song. I, You know, do something old-fashioned. Pass out hugs. There you go. I, I, you know, uh, we've gotten way, way too materialistic. But don't run up the visa just to make everyone happy because in the end, you won't be and you will be discontent. There's only two things in my experience that are worth going into debt for. That's a house and perhaps a car. Notice I said perhaps a car. Otherwise, save up for it. Um, Proverbs 16.8 says, A little with righteousness is better than plenty without righteousness. Learn contentment. Learn contentment. And don't make excuses for what you don't have. Well, I can't go because I can't afford it. Go out and enjoy a glass of water. Don't make a big deal out of it. There's been times when, quite honestly, I, no one knew if I had the money or didn't have the money. I just went and drank water with lemon in it. Nobody knew if I had the money or didn't have the money. I just wanted water. Oh, no, I'm really not hungry, thanks. I'd just like some water tonight. Oh, this is plenty. Nobody knew. I'm not going to disgrace my God by saying I can't afford it. That's just me. That's just me because I'm content with what I have. But I wanted the fellowship because iron sharpens iron, and I needed that fellowship. So I went. I enjoyed the fellowship, and I sure did enjoy my ice water with lemon in it. And the 50 cents I had in my purse, I left for a tip for the wonderful young lady that brought my ice water. Works for me, but everybody has to figure out their own level. Um, Live in the life you can afford and be happy rather than run up debt. You know if you are over your head with debt by the way your checkbook looks. If you can't afford to pay your tithes and give your offerings, you are way beyond. Figure it out and start paying God first and allow him to help you out. Happiness and money do not go hand in hand. And for sure, joy and money don't. God and joy go hand in hand. Um, Avoid distress and avoid debt and you or you will become discontented. And when these things happen and things go wrong, then you're going to become like David's men. This was the one that just really, the scripture just really like jumped out at me. Because here was David. He took these 400 men who were distressed, in debt, discontent he took them in he let them I mean I don't know what all he did with them and I really don't know that it was David's fault that the enemy overtook him the the Bible doesn't say David was out there fighting with them David's family got taken too but even David in our story in Second Samuel, ended up greatly distressed because this wonderful group of down-and-outers that he took in to raise up turned on him. Yeah, they were going to stone him. They didn't have anybody else to blame for their problems, so they blamed their leader. And that's what happens. When we become discontented, we never blame ourselves. Uh, It's never my fault. It's your fault. Now, really, it's not because you're not my leader. I always blame the person over me. In the church, I always blame either, as a woman, I blame my husband or I blame my pastor. It's always their fault. And I turn on them vehemently. 
I backstab. I become ugly. Maybe not right to their face, but I talk about them. You know, there's that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, the way that we do it when we get discontented is we throw the stones of words. And we become just like David's men. And we turn and we blame other people for our problems. Because we're discontented. So it's got to be somebody's fault. I didn't get promoted because it's someone else's fault. I didn't get because it's someone else's fault. They did it to me. I'm the, what did we talk about last month? The victim. And I'm the victim. I'm discontented. And my stones start coming out, and I'm ready to stone whatever leader I can find to stone. And then that poor leader can become distressed. And here's the scripture that tells us in Samuel. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So, oh no, even the captain, even the head has now become distressed. There's that old Veggie Tale song, Oh No, What We're Gonna Do. Here's what we're gonna do. David encouraged himself in the Lord. This is our answer. David knew his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David knew his God intimately. He knew his burden bearer. He didn't have to go, oh, the unknown God. He said, Lord, and he turned to his God, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. When things got too much for him, he knew where to go. And he encouraged himself in his God. It is not God's desire for us to be distressed nor discontent. It's his will for us to rejoice. It's his will for us to encourage ourselves in him. It's his will for us to praise him. 1 Thessalonians 6, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice evermore. It does not say rejoice when you feel like rejoicing. It doesn't say rejoice when you feel good. It doesn't say rejoice when everything's going your way. Rejoice when you're living where you want to live. Rejoice when you have the kids you want to have. Rejoice when your wife made you bacon and eggs. Rejoice when your husband bought. It says rejoice evermore. Rejoice in the rain. Rejoice in the snow. Rejoice in the sleet. Rejoice on the crummy, rotten, horrible days. Life is life. Rejoice evermore. Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, verse 18 says. Praise. It's not just a Sunday morning time filler in our service schedule. There's a song that says, get up from there, sitting down. God can't use you sitting down. It's time. You know, I hear some people say, well, it's just not me. Really? It's not you to praise the Lord? To encourage yourself in the Lord your God? When I think about the Lord and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah! 
I mean, I can't help but to start to dance. There's some Sundays that you can't glue me to that chair back there. I had children on Sunday, and I'm not saying this because of me. I'm just saying it because of God. I had children in that back row on Sunday turning around, poking each other, going, look at her. Because I'm just back there dancing, having a good old time. I needed to encourage myself in the Lord. Because if I didn't, then my emotions might turn into my mood, and my mood might not be to walk in the Spirit, and that wouldn't be good for anybody. Praise is not just a time filler. It's the attitude of a Christian's life. And it's not a complacent thing. The Bible says if we don't praise them, the rocks are going to just sit there and go, mm, Hallelujah, Jesus. No, they're going to cry out. So we should be crying out. Because we're dead stones. We're just stones that are holding the building in place. We don't want it to move. No, we're lively stones. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says, Jesse? We're lively stones. Yes, you are too, Amberlynn. You're a lively stone. You love to dance for Jesus. The time and service for praise and worship is for your edification and his glorification. You need it to carry you through the week. And sitting complacently will not do it. It didn't do it for me years ago, and it sure is not going to do it for me now as a born-again Christian. Isaiah 61.3 tells me that he has given me the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Heaviness is a spirit. And it doesn't say the spirits. You don't have a different spirit. If heaviness comes, it's the same spirit that would come on me. It's a specific, distinct spirit that comes and cloaks itself around us. Think about it like a big dark, heavy cloak. You wonder why some religions have dark, heavy cloaks they wear? It's a spirit of heaviness. But he's given me a garment of praise. And when I start to praise him, that spirit of heaviness just flees. It can't stay in his presence. And it just is gone. It lifts. So there's nothing that should rob you of your joy or your praise. Nothing. I don't care. The day that my mom died, she died on a Sunday morning. I sat by her bed and sang hymns to her. And while I cleaned her room, unbeknownst to me, I had to have her room cleaned out within 24 hours. I was like, what? I mean, I thought I got to wait for everybody else to come and help me, but I had to get it cleaned out. They were going to charge me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And I said, well, all righty then. Bring in the boxes. Let's have a good time. So I just started praising the Lord, and I just had a good old time in that room. And the nurses are looking at me like, do we call for the padded wagon, or what do we do? But I just had a praise time because I refused to let that spirit of heaviness come over me. Pastor called and said, do you need me to come over? I said, no, go have church. Jesus is here with me. I'm good. Y'all go to church and then bring the pickup over because we've got to get this room cleaned out. And I just put on the garment of praise. Nothing should steal my joy. Was I sad? Yes. Did I grieve for her? Yes. Did I cry? Yes. But I still had his joy. Situations do not and should not have an effect on your state of being. 
If they do, eventually you will become discontented. The enemy will bring something into your life that will pull the rug right from out from under you. He knows how to get to you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And if you focus on that thing, on that situation, more than on your God, you will become discontented. Why? How? When? What? And discontentment will settle in. Nevertheless, Lord, I'm yours. I've got my praise on. First Timothy 6, 6 through 8. I don't have the whole thing up there, but it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. The way that you can be the richest ever in this world, of course, is to be born again of the water and the spirit. Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. But then, to have godliness with contentment. And that's your great gain. Avoid discontentment at all cost. We will see you Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Not 9.01, not 9.02. If you would like to be here at 8.50, that would be wonderful. 8.30, Brother Richard has coffee ready, if you would like to come and enjoy that. But not 9.01, not 9.02, but 9 a.m. sharp for prayer or any time before that. The doors are open at 7.05. God bless you.